0: had these discussions is there any chance that someone is going to come and take us out completely and reinvent this industry that we have developed for the last 100 or 200 years
1: i think insurance companies in their traditional form are very likely to be under tremendous threat of survival as uncertainty increases as complexity increases, the need to be somehow protected against the dramatic lack of predictability of the future will not go away. It will in fact dramatically increase. One of the signs that an industry is ripe for disruption is
2: when the industry is built around aspects of it that don't serve the customer need. And I think the challenge with the insurance sector currently is that it's built more around the advisors than it is the users.
3: I've spent 20 years working insurance. I recently purchased an insurance policy from a South African company. And their material is completely unintelligible.
1: Unintelligible. Your interaction space is horrible. It's not the purchase, that's, that's it's the process that's, that's horrible. The insurance process currently feels
2: scary and risky. It feels like it's going to be time consuming, it feels like it's going to be expensive and it feels like with all of the complexity that even though I don't know quite how, I feel like I might not be getting the best deal. The
3: industry has begun to compete on complexity. So our products are in some level commoditized and we therefore differentiate through complexity
1: and all that does is obfuscate. Regulation has, has driven a sameness. Into the life insurance industry that didn't exist there before. You could you used to be able to say if I go here I'm getting I'm more likely to get paid out than if I go there. That's no longer true.
4: If you have such a lot of regulatory proposals out there, then it creates uncertainty. So industry players would be reluctant to commit to a new path without knowing this path is sustainable. And I think it's because of that uncertainty that
3: the industry has become a little bit stuck in a rut.
5: In terms of regulation and, and legislation, I think we had a very very confused juncture at the moment so we're trying to kind of just correct and tipex out things in the in the old rule book while we're rewriting a new rule book and that is just going to be a transient thing and I think uh, that's in the long run is almost going to be a waste a waste of time.
3: There is a concern that at the end of the day we'll find global players getting into the market but not needing to deal with the regulatory requirements of the market and as soon as that happens they will by definition be more competitive.
6: We mustn't be in a situation where we've got the regulator telling us what we need to do. We must rather be in a position where as an industry we say these are the current problems that we are facing, get together with both the industry and get together with the regulator and actually find
7: solutions uh, to those problems. A strong regulator plays a very important role to keep the ecosystem healthy. At the same time, we must make sure that the regulatory pace of of keeping regulations actual keeps up with the pace of technological change, which is difficult to do because the technology is changing in real time.
3: Bitcoin is an interesting concept and that's the sort of thing that could change the world totally.
2: And if you look at how the technology companies have emerged over the last 20 years, they've had to deal with exactly the same challenge. People, they've moved people from a place of fear uh, towards a place of confidence in technology through simplicity of interfaces. And that don't intimidate me with massive, scary forms um, and complexities that make me feel stupider than I actually
0: am. My biggest... Probably, complaint about the market is sort of that, you know, the status status quo always seems like the better option than the other option, whatever that may be. So, you know, there might be five different innovative ways you could go, but the status quo always
1: outnumbers each of those. My sense is that insurance companies of the future may very well not be started by actuaries. They'll be started by people who have a sense of what the need in the common good
6: is. I think we are now entering a new phase where it's actually it's not the intermediary and it's not the product actually that's important. It's actually it's the customer that is now at the centre.
8: I think we are faced with a number of challenges that mostly the most insurers are not actually geared to handle at this point in time, purely because it is. I think the customer is a disruptor. We love using words like customer centric, you know. And. And we're really not.
6: (laughs) Millennials are no longer interested in a one-size-fits-all approach. They want something that's bespoke to them and something that they need. Uh, We
5: tend to focus on millennials as being a different set of customers. But I think customers themselves are changing. So even your older customers, customers have been more established Uh, in the insurance industry, their needs and wants are also changing. So they're as fickle when it comes to moving between service providers as a millennial
6: would be. What the customer is demanding is very different to what we provided in the past. They are also demanding, very demanding, on how they want to interact and engage with the industry.
7: Consumers empowering themselves and starting to think, well, I can do this myself or I can get an app
6: to actually do what you used to
7: do
1: with your big systems is going to disrupt our industry. People are not just being sold
2: to anymore. They are actually empowering themselves and going out and buy. And I think that trend will just continue. We've got world-class technology that lives in our pockets. You know, the president can't get a better iPhone than I can. And you've got access to the very latest in uh, customer interface design. That sets the bar at a particular level. And then we encounter our insurance call center or our insurance forms. And it's incredibly frustrating. And yes, that used to be good enough 10 years ago. But guess what? My expectations have changed.
8: want to know something, you Google it. And with that, you know, the ability to access information easily, access whatever you need with speed, has led to a more impatient society. Um, so the days of
5: having an, an RA for 40 years
8: and continue to pay your premiums
5: every month, I think those are, are behind us.
6: The, the way people work is going to be fundamentally different. They're, they're going to be switching jobs far more frequently than what happened in the past. Uh, There's going to be periods of time where they don't have an income and they're going to want far more flexibility from a premium payment uh, point of view. And I think our products are going to have to change and allow and cater for that. We need to have far
5: more dynamic products uh, and far more touch points with our customers to keep them interested.
3: Do not impose your business model on me because that's the only way industry works. Because if Google arrives and does insurance differently, but actually does it a lot more like like I intuitively expect it to be, uh, then that's the model I will use. So there's this model that people have become used to, which is on
9: demand, I can turn it on and I can turn it off. I don't want to get into long-term term contracts. And I think that could be very relevant for, for insurance as well.
10: When you start to understand people's lives, you can actually create products that are actually quite inspired by how they live their lives. <laughs> One of the big trends that uh, we shared with the market last year was the idea of uh, a microsystem That we've evolved from being an ecosystem where I exist within a space where there's things for me to touch and feel to everything must come to me because I've got a phone, I've got a computer. So if brands start to live closer to me and fit into how I live my life every single day, I notice you more, because there's so much choice in the world that for you to shout above everybody else, proximity and intimacy becomes a key, a key driver. What I've seen with insurance companies is that they haven't evolved when it comes to how they distribute their products, and also how they communicate with customers. The ecosystem, yes, as much as it's about me, but what exists in my space is influenced by something or someone. And I think we see that with popular culture, that a lot of people are driven by popular culture, whether what I wear how I behave, how I want to look, and I bring all these things into my space for me to have this identity. And I guess understanding the spheres of influence is also important.
1: The way that millennials think of community, of course, is intermediated by technology. So they have a community through Facebook or Twitter, or whatever it is, uh, that really constitutes an amazing array of different kinds of people, people that their grandparents may never have conceived of belonging to their community. As insurance companies have grown up, they have effectively become
3: managers of the pool, in practice and in theory still on behalf of the us, but the us has been lost. And I think the the whole the French insurance space, that concept of mutuality, brings back home and says, this is a group of people, these are people you know, and it's our money that's in this pool. And therefore, there's no adversarial discussion. There's a discussion about whether this pool should give you some of our money, because you have a need, and it's a genuine need. Um, and, and large insurance companies should be worried about that because you know, one of the things, you know, we call it social media. Uh, it, is, it is a connecting communication platform, generally open architecture and generally pretty much globally available. Um, anyone with reasonable knowledge of the workings of insurance and some kind of a cash flow engine uh, can effectively create an insurance company. They don't need licensing, so they won't be worried about RDR, they won't be worried about FaZe, they won't be worried about SAM. Um, because it'll actually just be a bunch of people together um, pooling their money.
1: We're now seeing a kind of blurring, what the millennials may, re- may refer to as a mashup, a mashup of insurance products, uh, which provide, I think, a fascinating opportunity for insurance companies to be innovative. <laughs>
5: Your biggest threat to your industry doesn't come from within that industry. So you have to watch what is happening cross industry in order to to sort of gauge um, what's what's going to hit. And the music industry shows us that you get hit repeatedly by
11: disruption. In the next ten years, we could have driverless cars on the road. It obviously is going to change the whole dynamic of motor car accidents and how you claim. But it it may bring a whole new paradigm of of liability insurance into the freight.
3: We've all read about Google self-driving cars. That's a fantastic idea. What would happen if somebody hacked into a car and stole it, or worse still, had a malicious view and drove it off a cliff with its continuously screaming occupant inside? and then reset the software just at the moment it was departing the the surface of the earth, such that when the thing was unpacked and unpicked later, there was nothing obvious except, oh, there must have been a malfunction.
11: So today, if you're involved in a car accident, you don't immediately think about the manufacturer. But in a driverless car environment, you can see that. 3D printers are going to bring down the production cost for many things. Um, In a strange way, it may take away insurable interest for insurers because now it's cheaper, it's easier to get certain information or certain products and therefore maybe you wouldn't want to insure them.
7: I think there's a very
4: exciting future for 3D printing. Uh, As new materials are developed we will be able to print different types of scaffolds. These scaffolds can then be used uh, to seed with stem cells and to grow organs for for patients. They have already started in the United States of America where they printed a windpipe for a small girl. The more patients we treat, you will get complications and there will be a huge development in liability insurance.
2: Medical technologies are transforming insurance in so many ways. And I think that the role of the insurer is not just to Ensure and provide benefits to the consumer who might be sick and who might have health problems, but also to incentivize the medical practitioner who innovates to create new efficiencies for the, for, uh, for the patient.
3: When we talk about uncertainty in the insurance risks, there's
12: risks emerging that, that we're not even sure what they are. You've got the situation currently that insurance companies operate in a national identity and and I think this is happening worldwide with anything that's digital, is that national identity becomes rather vague. What will happen with insurance is is that you should be able to deliver an insurance solution anywhere in the world, and somebody based in China could be able to buy that access from an insurance company. It doesn't matter where they are. There are uh,
9: some experiments with the blockchain creating Um, what have been called decentralized autonomous organizations. Some of the mainstream institutions, banking institutions, financial uh, uh, and insurance institutions, um, are are, are really embracing these technologies. There's been a a huge kind of reawakening and rethinking um, where quite smart people um, have suddenly thought, well, what is is money? Realizing that actually it's it's not necessarily what we thought it was. And what it really is, is, is information. It's transfers of information. So, um, how I transfer that information, whether it's, an, it's a note that I write IOU on and that has currency, um, or it's a Bitcoin or any other form of currency, uh, that's what money is. But what about information that goes deeper than that and that's much richer than that? What about information about me? So, personal information is an extremely
3: valuable asset. We are always on uh, as humans, as, as citizens, as People, we are being continuously tracked, and we are generating a continuous stream of data. No matter what you do, where you go, you are leaving a footprint. In the hands of some pretty basic statisticians, uh, the quantum of data we as humans are generating can become very predictively powerful. Um, but but that that idea that we are being observed, um, I think, to me, is the is the defining thing at, at
9: the moment. Po- the protection of personal. Information Act in South Africa, um, the general data protection um, uh, rules in, in, the, in the European Union and, and many more that are, are now suddenly coming, uh, becoming important um, are creating a new paradigm around this, around who owns and controls the information. So privacy is really just about ownership and control. Individuals can reclaim our personal information um, and, and then make it useful for ourselves.
13: It is true big data inside of insurance organisations and they don't tap into it at all. So a lot of value on the table there. Then if you look at internet of things, um, the number of wearable devices, the data that generates, um, where we get wireless homes that's going to start generating data around the home, around driverless cars, that's shaking up the insurance industry and I think it's starting to look at that.
9: So it's a, it's a completely um, new way of thinking about how our personal data gets used for our benefit, but also then to be able to innovate services that are more valuable to us and that are um, going to bring whole new business models for service providers.
13: You sit with customers that are becoming increasingly connected. So I think disruption will come from wearable devices. I'm quite surprised, so wearing one of those things and I know what data this generate. I'm not sharing it with my insurer yet because they're not asking me to. But if I know that that's going to affect my premium, we well, happy to share that information and I think that's being underestimated.
9: With the protections that are coming in place and the consumer um, demands around privacy and ownership of, of, of information, um, we're going to see a shift towards information being person-centric rather than being scattered across the cloud. and. Uh, and held within institutions.
13: Big data is quite exciting, so big data and technology, and if you combine that with artificial intelligence and machine learning, opens a whole new world of possibilities. Suddenly we can interact with the amounts of data, we can grab it, we can interrogate it and analyze it, and then put machine learning on top of it. So it took humans 10 or 15 years to learn based on judgment. You can now program, feed the data, and a machine can learn that in a half an hour.
3: I think Morgan Stanley have just issued a report about robotics. Uh, And they reckon that 75% of the world's jobs are at risk of being robotized
5: in the next 10 years. If you look at, uh, I think, the threat of robotics and the rise of the machines, everyone expected it to... and the most logical would have been your kind of uh, manual blue-collar worker type jobs, but what you're starting to see increasingly is that your lower level or even middle level um, white collar jobs are completely at risk. Associated Press revealed that per quarter they already publish 3,000 articles every quarter that is being written by an algorithm.
13: So think of the possibilities if you think of doctors and what took a doctor seven years to learn, if you put collective medical records, treatments, a machine can learn, potentially in an hour, what will be the best treatment for a specific disease, how to accurately diagnose that disease, and transform that into the insurance world.
5: So when you start looking at that, and you start looking at empirical, empirically-based industries, so auditing, uh, insurance, uh, even, sort of even you go down to the law professions, legal secretaries, you go into healthcare, what's happening in your laboratories, all of that root work is going to be affected by machines. And we don't really think about that now, but it's a very real thing that's happening.
4: And it's, it's disrupting all parts of the value chain, potentially, the way products are delivered, the way clients are serviced, even the way, you know, you, 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 you manage your data. And, and I wouldn't say there's one single technology. You really need to embrace technology generally and look at appropriate solutions for different parts of the, of the, of the value chain.
9: There's this huge evolutionary Uh, Leap that is being taken, um, uh, which is akin to, you know, the Big Bang.
2: (laughs) We've got to bust out of the current paradigm of insurance-oriented thinking as the product is one thing and it needs to be experienced one way, and we've got to get down to the fundamental truth, which is, what are the problems that insurance solves for people? How does it make people feel safer? How does it mitigate against uncertainty? And given the full range of technologies that we have available, how might we match those new technologies to solving the fundamental truth uh, that our industry promises in new and interesting ways?
14: There's a huge opportunity to develop new, new and clever ways to bring the products to the people in an efficient way, taking into account of the risk, but also taking into account their unique circumstances and really kind of um, tailoring the solutions to people's, what people have and what people want.
10: And I think designing a customer experience has to take into context the full 360 degree of a person. I think designing a customer experience you need to look at every touch point and how we actually optimize those touch points to be able to speak to a person.
13: You're immediately seen as being proactive, you're interacting with your customers and it creates a perception that you are a modern organization, you are moving with the times. And then start embracing things like apps where people volunteer data. It ultimately boils down to finding an area which you can control, where you have the data and you can interact easily with it and using that information to change how you interact with your customer and start creating what feels to the customer like quite a personal connection.
2: The interface for insurance largely currently is the advisor, and that's a good thing. The the ultimate interface for people is other people. There is no better interface design than that. You know, are we thinking about disrupting insurance Is getting rid of the advisor or enabling the advisor to be smarter and to enable better meetings when they do happen with people?
7: And I think the concept of robo-advice in life insurance is going to grow. Life insurers need to embrace that
2: Could we use technologies like drones to go and conduct assessments in places that would otherwise be too expensive to send an assessor? These are the things we need to be thinking about.
7: The fact that technology will allow servicing, interaction, claims, um, distribution of proceeds, all of that to be done on a more technologically enabled basis has got to be good for costs. I think it's much more of an opportunity and an uplifting opportunity for life insurance than, than, than anything else. So you have this large portion of the population that are left outside of formal financial services and not benefiting from that. So I think step one is to, to, to uh, include uh, and find ways of including the higher portions of the population and the metrics of that is not purely financial. The metrics of that should be number of users, number of people engaging with your products and as these consumers start using financial services they will then migrate you know, up the value chain to higher uh, return uh, products. As
2: we move towards a more dynamic insurance context, there's a real opportunity for insurance brands to become relevant. But if our insurance company can prove to us that they're in life, a life enabling par- enablement partner, whether it's enabling me to live a healthier, longer life, whether it's enabling me to get better, smarter treatment, or to find uh, people that will co insure with me, there's never been a better time uh, for insurance companies to start speaking like the world's most inspiring brands, whether that's Lego, whether that's Nike. uh, It's a real opportunity for us to shift from being background brands to foreground brands.
4: We can do it in a variety of ways and and, and certainly I think it's, it's, it's very important that, that you know, the way we see our role in society is very much integrated and aligned with the way we do business. It's not something on the side, you have some money that we give away and so forth. And that we, over time, through technology you know, or through innovations, give more people access to our solutions.
13: But there's this whole bunch of young people previously uninsured people that might be the early adopters for for the more micro-insurance type products, and you can start building a portfolio of your services with them, which could be very beneficial to both parties.
4: I think also, you know, with our solutions being embedded in different other solutions over time, certainly it can be seen as more of a value-add solution and a more flexible solution. So, for example, through mobile technology, one can deliver a product far cheaper than a a traditional channel.
14: So I'm hoping the insurance industry can come up with something revolutionary in this kind of context, maybe being the disruptor, especially in, in, in Africa.
3: So so again with the world shrinking, 3D printing, all of those great new technologies coming, you're likely to see that innovation land in Africa. You know, the opportunity for Africa might be it, it might leapfrog a lot of developed economies where there is legacy in certain industries. Um, that technology actually allows that industry to flourish in Africa because of the because of the very reason that there is no legacy.
15: What's interesting of course is that in Africa it's not necessarily smartphone technology, it's mobile technology and one of the challenges is saying, well, you know, in, in certain markets things are really moving fast in terms of apps and, and those kind of developments, but there's a massive opportunity to use some more basic technology but still as a tool for creating access and inclusion.
13: Africa has taken insurance and literally started from scratch from a blank page. It seems like they have either did not know anything about the insurance industry, or just have a complete healthy disregard for any legacy systems. And I think in South Africa, it's sometimes so easy to say, oh yeah, but we have these legacy systems and we'll never get the data. And I think that's gonna be our downfall in terms of innovation is that we're not hungry enough to go and design new products, get to untapped markets and make it work no matter what
5: starting to see the higher propen- propensity for African Millennials to return back to the continent to rebuild and to, to give back. There's a, it's, a, it's very very different from say uh, possibly India and China um, but in Africa you're starting to see that so when in the next say by 2030 or so I start seeing really really interesting ways of, of doing things in, in Africa and also specifically not 20th century developed world models.
13: Yes, we're doing amazing things in South Africa, but generally for the established insurance market. And I think what we can learn from Africa is how to go into that untapped market, how to leverage micro insurance and almost bring insurance to literally anyone.
2: So one of the things with digital technologies is that we tend to overestimate the change that's gonna happen in the very short term and underestimate the change that's going to happen in the very long term. But somewhere in between there is the sense that instead of aiming for an immediate change, we need to build a fitness for change. As an organization, we need to understand that innovation isn't something that we do, but it's a capability that we practice.
8: I can't see the insurance world being the same in the next 20 years. Yeah, I just see you know, something that's going to be a radical shift. The basics will remain, you know, let's not kid ourselves.
12: Um, my biggest concern is that I can see trends taking place where the insurance companies are not interested in doing what needs to be done to to be relevant in the future. And I think that's a real danger for us. I mean, we, in a sense, have to engage almost outside the industry because um, they could be our future customers. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we we have to do as a reinsurance space is that our customers today may not be our customers of the future. Loving the... The, the
7: winning solution in, in, in this new digital space is one that collaborates with different ecosystem players. So the, the, the pace of change and, and the, the, the way that consumers engages with different brands and different players in this digital ecosystem is so rapid that the, the, the approach that I think will work is to, to uh, work together with other players in that ecosystem in a collaborative manner uh, and ensure that in the end, uh, value creation to the end consumer is is key.
4: What one must also understand is that capital is no longer a barrier. If you, if you have a solid business case or a business business model, um, one can crowdsource you know funding, or you can go to you know Silicon Valley or New York or London, the areas where you know the, f- the fintech investments are. Massive the potential capital. So capital is not the limitation, it's really to find
8: the entrepreneurs and to put the right solutions together. If they can think creatively uh, around how they interface with the new world, build partnership with newer forward thinking players, they can still be relevant in the new world in the next 50 years of insurance.
4: Traditionally, bigger insurance groups and bigger companies would want to you know, find the solutions in-house, you know, and do everything themselves. But the changes are just so rapid. I need to be open-minded to partner with the small entrepreneurial businesses as well that run their businesses from a garage, but they just have the latest technology and the new, latest disruptions. And it's not either or, it's really you need, to, you need to do
7: both. The command and control management model is is dead and won't work. It's simply too hard to predict for any one team or any one executive. uh, You know, the the future is simply too uncertain. At the same time, the way we use technology and uh, and our uh, architecture of our technology has to do two things. On the one hand, it must create incredible scale uh, so that every new consumer we onboard is onboarded at a lower price point and we really create an infrastructure that's, that's scalable. At the same time, it must allow for modular customization on a local level. So that the the wrapper that we put around our, our product has local relevance and meets a local consumer need. If the infrastructure is not scalable uh, but customized, then the price point will be, will be too high. And if it's just a commodity, then it won't meet a consumer need. So we really do need to do both.
4: What has uh, Uber done, uh, or Airbnb? They've created scale on a totally different level. So the biggest taxi company in the world on a single taxi, the, you know, the biggest provider of accommodation, Airbnb, they don't own bricks and, and, and mortar. They just created an ecosystem through technology and got groups of people together and give them a a, a great client experience and give them access to a solution, although they they don't own the solution and and they get a platform fee.
12: And I guess, you know,
4: one need to think about whether that's possible in the insurance
12: space. Anybody looking from outside the insurance industry will look and say the people to partner with are the reinsurers, because they have the capital. Um, And if they are bringing, if the person outside the market is able to bring access to the client, and an understanding of the client, I think they will partner with reinsurers.
4: What might sound outrageous might well become a practical reality in a new world where you do business totally differently. And I think in this fourth industrial revolution environment, you know one needs to be very, very open minded to tap into different skills and resources on a massive scale where, you know, where you don't control and own everything, but where everyone's got the common purpose to, to solve certain problems for clients and to, and to
1: connect. What is the future? Choice. The choices we make today, the quality of our decision-making today is what will have the number one impact in terms of what the future is going to be like. It's probably opportune now that...
8: Uh, this kind of indaba uh, gets held uh, quick, quickly uh, and without uh, the 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 competition issue being there so it 's in the interest of the industry it 's in the interest of reinsurers it 's in the interest of the regulator and uh, the end customer to ensure that you know these conversations do take place so there 's no agenda here. But the agenda is let's have, let's begin a conversation.
12: I
16: have the absolute luxury of understanding just how many clever people there are trying to solve problems in this industry. What I would like to do is to invite those people to collectively participate and learn from each other. And as a result of the collective participation and learning to, to be encouraged and to feel a measure of bravery in going forward and that they are not alone there are others with them on this journey and that overall we can be proud of trying to find answers for customers and for South Africans.
2: And you know what? We don't know what the answers are gonna be look like what are gonna look like if someone had the answer it would be a solved problem. The big thing is to remain curious. <laughs>
0: So I'm also going to ask um, Heather to join us on stage. So Heather is one of... Um, she's going to run the panel first. I mean, um, we might just stand. But we are, we are keen for some questions as well, obviously. But while we just get ourselves ready, we did show this um, documentary overseas. We had a senior managers meeting in Cologne in September, so there were sort of representatives from all around the globe. And, um, I mean, there was a huge amount of, of interest in this, and we certainly have plans to try and, and take the project... Uh, global, um, we did have to explain to some of our foreign colleagues what uh, an Indaba was and what a garage was, but uh, so we, we have actually produced a, an English subtitled version of this English video, um, but we are also busy uh, translating or doing subtitles for Spanish and French and, and a few other countries, so I'm going to hand over to Heather, and we're going to open for questions and a panel discussion.
16: Okay. I just before we throw to the floor, um, I do want to throw one actually at Shireen, because she was the voyeur, really, into our industry. Um, We attended an actuaries talking about leadership uh, session yesterday, and what was interesting was how concerned actuaries are about having to manage marketing. So I just want to add a big up there to Paul for letting marketing loose this year. He is in counselling. The question to Shireen is, being a voyeur and having seen both sides of the spectrum, the industry and, and not the industry, just to share with the audience here your overriding sort of conclusions and perceptions of, of how you think the industry is doing in terms of being future-fit. So, um, I've just I think it's
17: before, so it's so really quite to come down to the industry. It's interesting about this line of inquiry
16: and I was. Really, really very impressed. We're at um, the
17: the considerable weather, particularly at the and so
8: the the key that we're coming through to run well the exile
2: people. What's that? Um I was interested that nobody brought up uh, the issue of climate change or the, the ecological environment that we live in. Um is that not going to affect our future?
17: I wonder why you're you are asking that question.
2: Right? <laughs> I really enjoyed your decision for that. Um, uh, we did have a, a, a script of questions that we wanted to do, try and for people who are asking. Hi, this is on. Hi uh, Colin Dudkevich. Um, those of you who know me, you know I was an advisor for five years. Uh, I've also been playing around in the UK for, for the last couple of years. Uh, and there are you know, very similar conversations on the go there. Uh, so two questions. One is in the UK the aggregator sites uh, are all the rage, which is the Uber. You know, they don't sell product, they distribute it, uh, possibly not that well. But um, so, so that's the first part, what do you think of that? And the second part is in terms of your documentary, and I'm, I'm uh, you know, an awesome documentary, but I didn't see any advisors in there. Did you not talk to people who
15: actually sell the stuff at the moment?
16: Any more questions?
14: Mahesh Cooper here. Um, so thanks for an interesting interesting video. And, and certainly it's it's an issue beyond insurance. Uh, I, I think in financial services more broadly, whether it's investment or banking, we're all grappling with these uh, with these issues. Um, more comment than an observation. And I'm going to draw a parallel with yesterday's session that happened here in the afternoon um, that Dave Strugnell and Shivani Ranchard gave. Um, just a for those who attended, um, it was around transformation in the industry. Uh, that, is, that video showcases some of the issues we face from a transformation perspective in the industry. From a male perspective, in terms of uh, female representation on that, but also from a, a black perspective. And I think, I realize this is a, a different session, but I think it's important for us to draw linkages across this convention uh, and, and, and I encourage you to really w- watch that video in your spare time, but with that lens in place. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and that did
16: not say us. That's that it is a very vast male uh, dominated issue, and a little different than the people that um, we And we have to go in many different perspectives, but when you're
17: talking to of insurance that i so there there's some limitations we very I want to it is obviously noticeable um, we were quite clear we want the industry to replace that but We didn't want to put anything in their mind with it.
16: Questions? I want to throw a last one to Paul, because you all know he's going to to greater fields. Um, And Paul, your view, this this video, in some cases, people can say it's scaremongering. It's full of trends, trifles, and truths. But I want to ask Paul, given that he's chosen to leave the profession, do you believe we're an industry at risk?
17: my camera for my own patients so one of the questions that I asked was would you recommend your cousin your niece or sister I to person would you recommend that they go to an insurance and without fail everyone I asked yes and it would be easy to say no actually it was good to me but um, things are, are changing so I think yes we are a risk, but I think we have an immense amount of brain power, in this room and this building in our profession and I, I think our intention is generally good. So, and I think intentions are, are very important, but so, intentions are not enough. Um, I think we, we, many of us want to do the right thing, um, but it's not going to happen without a lot of very careful thoughts and planning. And I think most particularly tough decisions. So, like my one frustration is, is industry that sometimes I see that the tough decisions not being made because they are.
16: Okay, three minutes to go.
15: I just wanted to say on a on very positive note, I thought there was a, a really amazing session to watch in, in terms of the amount of use and thoughts and ideas that I got out of sitting here. For an hour or whatever it was, I don't know. Time flew, um, but it, it was it was really incredible. And um, I think the so for what I'm, I'm left with, and this is a comment, not a question. What I'm left with is this impression that other people are thinking about what it is that the financial industry is actually doing, what what are the needs that it's it's supposed to meeting, and cutting through this ivory tower of regulation and 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 things and legacy systems and whatever, and kind of getting to to say. Just just like what Uber did, Uber Uber said, what we're trying to do is get from A to B. The fact that you have to own a car, register a car, and get a driver's license, and do all those virtual things, it doesn't matter. We're trying to get from A to B. And with money, we have money, we get money, and at some point, we need need, need the money back. And and that's really what the money is. There's nothing else to it. All that other stuff has been built up around it. And I think that's being able to cut through all that crap and saying, how do we make people have money and use money? That's, That's all we do. Thank you for making this.